Hello everyone out there in Radioland. Welcome to another wonderful day here with me, Brandon Shell. This is uh, Croquis, Life Drawing Class for this week. Um, thank you for joining us. If you've been here before, thank you for coming back. And if it's your first time, thanks for trying us out. Um, Croquis is the Danish expression for life drawing, life drawing or figure drawing. Uh, where we draw from the model, from the nude form. and In olden times, it was a way of studying uh, God's work. Um, and since then, it's just a way of studying humans and studying how we see things. So during this class, we focus on the ways of seeing. And the easiest thing to see is uh, the other humans or ourselves in a mirror. Because um, we spend all day with these people or around people and it's nice to take a time and uh, just study the form um, because it is, in my opinion, beautiful and something to be enjoyed and something to be documented. And what we end up with when we try to interpret it is some version of what we see. Um, we don't really, none of us are Leonardo, so quite often what we end up with is some we end up somewhere between what we actually see and our interpretation of what we're seeing and that is life you can really only see things through your own eyes and interpret them as through your own uh, processes so if you are joining and if you uh, have been here before or it's new I'll just give a reminder so the first uh, 10 minutes of this class we take and we prepare for a drawing, our drawing session, and then the session starts uh, in 10 minutes. I will uh, signal, uh, I gotta find my keys, uh, and then I will signal uh, when, when we change poses. Uh, for right now, uh, what I want you guys to do is to get set up, uh, get your pencils, your paper, your canvas, or your paint, or your charcoal, or Whatever material you're going to explore today, um, whatever medium you're going to explore, get that all set up. Uh, meanwhile, uh, also get your model set up. So, um, as I always say, the, the hardest part of being the model is staying warm and staying still. It sounds like very simple things to do, uh, but when you start doing it, you realize how hard it actually can be. So, if you are going to work with a model, and not be the model yourself. Um, make sure that you put them close to some type of heat source in the room. Uh, make sure you give them some blankets that they can use in between the poses. And if you're really kind, make sure you have some tea for them or something warm that they can drink in between. And for the model, you can use this first uh, 10 minutes to begin to warm up. Uh, your muscles and shake them out and do some jumping jacks or whatever you need to do to stretch out and get your body warm um, what will start to happen as you start to do these poses at times is uh, you will lose feeling in some parts of your body so the easiest way to avoid that or kind of stave it off is to uh, stretch beforehand and get the blood flow to the, all the way to all of your limbs Okay, and for you guys that are the drawer, um, I know that we're not at work these days, but maybe we've been doing housework, which is also a job all day, 
and we've just been focused on working from home or just busy writing emails or whatever it is you do so but that's the right side of your brain that's the functional side of your brain and what we what I encourage you to do is use your left side of the brain today that's the creative side so <clears throat> I want you to rub your hands together like this and then just quickly little smack on the on the left side of your face maybe on your cheek yeah just to wake it up just to get it going massage those cheeks massage the left side of your brain get it going that's what we're going to use today um, I know that's not real science that's pseudoscience but it's just to have a bit of fun um, but just to get you thinking that you're going to use the left side of your brain today <clears throat> um, so uh, if you don't know already I don't use uh, music during this uh, session um, because music is a personal thing and um, so what you can do or what if you if you would like to draw while listening to music I encourage you to use another uh, apparatus or um, digital item to play music uh, underneath my voice so whether that's I'm playing on the phone and you go to Spotify on the computer and play it at a lo lower volume or you use a record player um, or a cassette player if anybody still has one of those uh, to play music or not um, you can also just uh, follow my voice also you don't have to follow all of my instruction um, it's just to get you thinking in a certain way or get you to open your mind up to other types of thinking maybe you get stuck in a rut and uh, you need somebody to get you reset or get you going on an, on another path um, so that's what I'm here for uh, I'm going to be reading again today um, from a book from my own library as you know uh, the libraries are shut so we can't really go into uh, I don't have uh, at my house um, I, I got rid of all my art history textbooks and notes uh, when I finished the courses they're quite big and robust and I've traveled a lot so it was the easiest thing not to carry um, and it's also one of those things that become uh, dated I mean art history in itself is dated but through contemporary eyes it quite quickly becomes dated as we evolve as humans and we interpret things and uh, words have different meanings over time so um, with that um, but there is um, a, uh, a um, life drawer or a, a illustrator or a painter that a lot of you probably already know uh, definitely my favorite definitely somebody that inspired me a lot when I was doing life drawing and when I was just doing art in general and that is uh, Egon Schiele um, so I have plenty of Egon Schiele books at home um, I picked the biggest one I've read a bit in it it's, it's, it's obviously mostly pictures um, and I'm hoping that that will give us some substance uh, here today for uh, to get us through the last poses um, it's such a nice book that I didn't highlight or fold or uh, ear, what do you call it, like uh, rabbit ear any of the pages because I just didn't want to uh, mess with the book. Uh, um, I have some other ones that I have uh, kind of rabbit eared and made highlights in and all that kind of stuff, but this this one is clean. Um, so I, I will take a second in between it all to uh, read, pre-read uh, before I read it aloud um, what little writing is in there. But uh, Egon Schiele, in uh, just the, the basics, uh, is the, the understudy 
uh, of uh, of Klimt. He came. Um, he was in Vienna. Uh, became. Uh, it was in the Vienna uh, art scene uh, right after uh, Klimt and took the um, uh, impression of uh, drawing further or interpreted in his own way. Um, he's a bit of a troubled person. Um, he didn't become well known until well after his death. Um, may, I think almost like five decades. I think the 60s, 70s is when people started noticing his work and he had already passed away. I think in the book will uh, double check me, but I think in the, the mid 20s. Um, and he actually died of the Spanish flu. Um, so he died during a pandemic. Uh, cold uh, with no heat in an apartment uh, on the uh, top floor with his then uh, girlfriend who was pregnant at the age of I want to say 27 um, so he produced a lot of work before that time um, but he he had a rough rough go at it uh, financially socially um, at one point he was arrested um, for, for lewd drawings um, he was Living in a well, I, I'll go into that later. Uh, this is still set up. I'm gonna find my keys uh, so I can so I can signal to you guys. So give me uh, one second. So we're gonna start here in 30 seconds model and draw. So get yourself prepared. 30 seconds, and then we're gonna go into five two-minute poses. Okay. So the first 10 minutes of the class is gonna be five two-minute poses. Okay. me the whole time. So that's uh, the signal for the first post um, and that's the that's the tool I use. Um, it's a very refined tool. Uh, we do so much with keys. Um, definitely have a good function, multiple functioning tool. Um, it opens bottles, it makes sounds, it entertains babies and of course its main use is opening doors. Yeah. So So now we have um, the first of the two-minute poses. We switch from one-minute to two-minute poses. Uh, um, we started these classes with one-minute poses, and then I thought about it, and I always felt like one minute was a bit too short. But if you guys want to do one-minute poses uh, to warm up, you're welcome to it. I just I was never able to get enough information from a one-minute pose, uh, and by what I mean by information is uh, finding the scale and the uh, proportions of, of uh, what I wanted to draw. So mapping out kind of um, a blueprint of where the uh, where the model should be on the page, uh, the, the intensity of my line, uh, getting used to the medium. If you're using watercolor sometimes it's good to use these these times to figure out how much water um, to mix with the with the uh, pigment um, because you can use too much water and it runs uh, and then you just have a wet piece of paper um, so use these these first uh, 10 minutes now uh, eight minutes we're coming up on a switch and three two one
so you can uh, switch positions uh, model so yeah it's it's good to to um, not think obviously not thinking of these two minute gesture drawings as uh, your final drawings unless unless that's what you want maybe you just want to um, talking about impressionism and expressionism maybe you just want to express the line or express the body without actually um, seeing the body or, or doing a, a realistic representation of the body and then you would be moving into abstraction um, which we don't really focus on in this class um, ab abstraction is a vast ocean of interpretation um, a very vast ocean of interpretation and a lot of uh, subjective uh, opinion. I don't know if you can talk about abstraction uh, in a objective way. Um, not to say that you can talk about um, traditional um, artisan art in a in a objective way, but it it leans itself a bit better to a conversation. Than abstraction, or, or for this in the in the context of this class, of course, of course, abstraction leads itself to a lot of conversation, which is most mostly what uh, you would study if you were to study um, art history today or contemporary art. So I hope uh, model you are taking uh, ownership or taking like uh, some type of notes about um, where your blood flow is and how you, how you feel in the room and where you are in the room and the same goes for the drawer okay so that's the we're switching poses again switching poses again so um yeah Egan Shile you're talking about um, turn of the century uh, turn of the 20th century 1915 1920 something like that uh, pre-World War One, uh, Vienna so you have uh, almost a golden age you know that I read from uh, Adolf Luce uh, one of some of his articles uh, a couple weeks ago so the same time period just beginning to explore the human mind and um, coming out a lot of uh, Freudian theories about uh, impulse and uh, and sexuality and uh, you know, moving away from um, you know, getting people getting a bit more time on their hands after the second industrial revolution, um, uh, people, some people becoming rich, some people becoming work workhorses. Um, uh, Egon Schiele's family grew up basically at a railroad state. A railroad station, which is, uh, I think, about an hour, hour and a half outside of Vienna. His uh, father worked on the railroad, um, so therefore they lived in an apartment above the station. And some of the earliest uh, drawings were actually of his sister um, in, in, in a dress. And then eventually he would move to Vienna and become a part of a a group of artists um, that would have shows at the Kunsthalle there and he just he wasn't uh, the, the most popular one he wasn't the first uh, circle of artists uh, in that group I think 
to make money every once in a while he would do some postcards for the group and unfortunately his uh, talent went unknown that's to uh, switch poses um, his talent went on uh, unnoticed for a long time um, so yeah the thing about Egan Chile which we'll talk about throughout this class is um, the kind of um, energy in his line uh, without necessarily losing the complete human form um, his mediums were pencil and watercolor I think there may have been some oils and he did do uh, he didn't just do figure model he, he did also uh, some, lam some landscapes um, in that time it was still quite uh, conservative and uh, if you wanted to draw from the nude figure you were doing it with uh, prostitutes so he drew a lot of prostitutes um, so some of the sex some of the poses are quite sexual um, some of them are quite innocent and uh, actually this is how he ended up in trouble um, because when he was uh, he moved outside of Vienna and when he was in this town he had a gallery space and he put uh, the drawings the children's drawings uh, he also drew kids in the same window as some of these lewd drawings or these nude drawings and the, the town did not like that um, so he um, spent one year in jail for um, being accused of uh, it's not really clear um, where are my keys so this is uh, the last post in, in, in the readings it's kind of like kind of like you don't want to go that deep because I don't want to know because I actually quite like his art and I don't want to I don't want to know more than that um, and it's and it's a bit um, here or there depending on which book you read what uh, what he was accused of um, but yeah if you look at uh, his early drawings um, you'll see a lot of his uh, Klimt influences with the uh, collaged kind of um, patterns it's so hard to talk and, and, and make sure I'm on time. Um, but yeah, this is the last of the poses, uh, the warm-up poses. So, and then we'll take a break. I forgot to actually just say welcome to Epson Radio. And if you guys want, you can um, get in contact with us. We have a phone number here. Um, you can always send an SMS or uh, an email. The phone number... Okay, it's blocked from me right now. It's uh, 5023-8602. Um, so you can contact us that way. Um, send us an SMS. I'd, I'd love to hear from you guys, uh, hear how we can um, do more on this show, hear what kind of artist uh, you're interested in, and maybe even see some of your artworks if you are drawing along with us. I know some of you are just listening passively and that's okay too. Um, yeah. So uh, 20 seconds on this last pose and then we take a five minute break and then we go into our five minute poses and there are four of those and then we take another break and then we go into our last 20 minute pose which can also be split into two 10 minute poses. Okay, so we're in the break right now. 
And actually those last poses, um, beginning next week, I hope cross your fingers, um, it, there will be a, a guest instructor, um, someone who is still drawing and running uh, an art school or somebody that is selling their artwork that is uh, basically uh, life drawing based or nude drawing based, figure drawing based or croquis drawing based, however you want to say it. Um, and they will, they we're going to get introduced to them in the last portion of the, of the next episode. And then they're going to lead, uh, the, the final, uh, 20 minutes of the class. So it will be more than just my voice. I'm sure they have some new input and, um, they will be speaking from practice. I'm, I'm not practicing anymore. So they will be uh, giving information from practice. Um, we're in the break right now, so you can uh, get the model warm again, uh, quickly put on some clothes and uh, put them near the heater. Uh, if you need to uh, clean up a mess you made, now's the time to do it. And we'll start again in uh, four minutes now, a little less than four minutes. Um, Yeah, so we're going to have guests. Uh, I have two scheduled the next two weeks. Uh, I'm hoping to find more. Um, if, if for some reason I can, I'll just find another book and I'll keep reading from it. Um, in the meantime, Egon Chile. So I, the amount of work he created in such a short life is absolutely absurd. I mean absolutely absolutely absurd and to think about making this much art with no money and no income um his father was not happy with him at all um in, in the things that i've read um him being an artist and his father being this kind of 24-hour worker for the train station it just there was a disconnect there was a an obvious uh some obvious misunderstandings you're talking about a new vienna a new uh Aus Austria with new ideas of what humans beings are <clears throat> excuse me what humans beings are and and uh, what to be alive means um, so an exciting time probably to be young in but probably a really weird time to be from uh, the last generation and not really understanding what what the hell your your child is talking about when they're talking about um, expressionism and an impressionism and even in an art context just kind of moving away from the academy was a big big deal uh, then i mean from what i've read in the academy uh which which is not uh, unique to vienna necessarily but in the in the academy those days you would just study literally uh plaster replicas of old uh renaissance paintings uh, old renaissance sculptures and, and probably spend the whole the whole time drawing them um, and copying them and uh, this generation of artists the one right before Shulate decided no I don't we're not really it's a bit boring I want something that represents my culture now I want something that represents what we are I want something that captures the energy of the current climate and um, if you remember the architect Adolf Luce, who was a bit older, he, he expressed the same, uh, the same sentiment. You know, what is, what is Vienna now? What is, Vienna has its own um, artists and its own 
uh, culture and and we don't really need to uh, fantasize about ancient Rome or neoclassic or classicism neoclassicism yeah uh, we can we can we have enough in a rich culture on our own Uh, 15 seconds model get undressed the next pose is going to be five minutes and we're going to do uh, four of them so this uh, begins the first of the five minute poses that we do here in the class so the for the model you can Continue what you're doing, but maybe you want to do something a bit less extravagant, a bit easier, keeping yourself centered, keeping your base steady, and um, yeah, keeping your base centered, keeping yourself steady, and uh, paying attention to the pose that you aren't repeating the same poses and as we always say in this class that usually happens when you do the same pose in the opposite direction so that's what we call a mirror pose so please uh, avoid that also avoid a superman pose which is as it as it hints to a superman pose is when you uh, put both hands on your hips and stand uh, 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 yeah stand like a superhero um, so none of that uh, beyond that there are no rules um, you can do as you want the main one is just to stay still obviously and um, the best way for you to stay still whatever that is do it I think I would say that the easiest way is to just focus on your center focus on the, the middle part of your body your base you know uh, your bow as we say um, your center make sure that that's steady and everything else will follow <clears throat> so um, yeah so talking about Egon Chile some more um, just grew up in a special time of, uh, the golden age of, of the 20th century in Vienna a lot of creatives coming out a lot of uh, psycho analytics the birthplace of that so you have psychoanalytic theories being applied or artists reading these same books of, of Freud and the others in Nietzsche and then somehow that influencing their artistic practice um, which is great I mean these are the seeds of abstraction the seeds of expressionism the seeds of impressionism and this is how we get to the the weird in quote art that we see today where you have to ask is that art or not so in Vienna um, these groups Egon Schiele was on, not in these groups but circling around these groups I mean uh, Klimt, 
took a liking to him and tried to get him some work from time to time doing portraits of of the wealthy um, and postcards for events but for the most part he uh, he lived and died with little support from his family and uh, and cold and broke so yeah it was super sad yeah so I'm gonna I mean, I'll just skip through the book. I, I've read parts of it, but I didn't highlight anything, as I said in the intro. And uh, and we'll just go from there. This uh, first five-minute pose is going to end in about a minute and a half, and I'm going to squeeze a quote in there before. So, just in the foreword of this book, um, Richard Avedon, um, who I believe is a art historian, Speaking on Egon Chile's book, Egon Chile's work, excuse me. Uh, you can't get a thing itself. The real nature of the sitter by stripping away the surface. The surface is all you got. You can only get beyond the surface by working with the surface. All that you can do is to manipulate that surface, gesture, costume, expression, radically and correctly. And I think Chile understood this in a unique, profound, and original way. Rather than attempting to abandon the tradition of the performing portrait, in parentheses, which is probably impossible anyway, it seems to me that Chile pushed it to the extreme. He shattered the form by turning the volume up to a scream. And so what we see in Chile is a kind of recurring push and pull first toward pure performance, gesture, and stylized behavior, pursued for his own sake, studied for his own sake. Then these extreme stylizations are preserved in form, but, dis dis but disoriented, taken out of their fam familiar place and used to change the nature of what the portrait is. Richard Avedon, about his work. Um, so you can um, switch model to the next pose. And I think what uh, attracts most people to Chile's work is this um, intentional exaggeration of the human form, but without losing the proportions of the human form. Um, so this way of making all the limbs longer and exaggerating them to get some type of tension and, and, and excitement around the human form but still taking the time to emphasize where the knuckles are or where the muscles of the back um, curve um, it's his, his line um, intensity is, is really high I think that's also something you can get from the coat and just by looking at his work I'm just looking at some of the <clears throat> excuse me I'm just looking at some of the pictures in the book while I'm talking to you and and what he chose to emphasize it, and, and also definitely finding his style um, his early works as I may have uh, been Def, were definitely influenced by Klimt heavily and uh, as he drew more he, he moved away from that okay I might as well give you guys the intro right and see I can double check uh, what I, I took off the top of my head if it was correct um, yeah why not I'll, I'll just piece it out 
um, from now through this episode. Um, so the early years um, through 1907, okay? Uh, according to Egon Chile's mother, Marie, the artist began drawing at the age of 18, of 18 months. While this may be an ex exaggeration, there is no doubt that Egon, whose entire brief career was defined by, by precocity, became an enamored of art in a very young age. He was a prodigy. Alternatively, coddled and berated by a family that wanted desperately for him to succeed, but on their terms. Born on June 12, 1890, Egon Chile was the only son to survive a series of stillbirths and miscarriages. He was the middle child flanked by an older sister, Melanie, born in 1886, and a younger one, Gertrude, or Gertie, born in 1894. A, th a third sister, Elvira, died when Egon was three. The family was the was thus tragically marked by illness, a circumstance not common at the time. All the more did Adolf and Marie Chile hope that their one son would flourish. Mano, you got uh, two minutes before we switch. The, C the Chile children spent the earliest years of their lives in an apartment above the train station in the provincial Austrian village of Tulin, where their father was station master. During this period, the family was comfortably middle class. A civil service job such as Adolf's was considered a significant attachment attainment uh, in the old Austro-Hungarian Empire, which was dominated by an entrenched bureaucratic hierarchy. For two generations, the the family's economic livelihood had revolved around the Imperial Railway Service. Egon's paternal grandfather, Karl Ludwig Wilhelm Schiele, had been a railway engineer, as was his uncle, Leopold Schischkerhecks. Egon's maternal grandfather, Johann Franz Sukup, had helped build the northern and western Bohemian line, and the family's modest fortune was invested in railway stocks. I'll take one more paragraph before we switch, or maybe I'll just wait um, 30 seconds and then we're going to switch poses and then we've got uh, two more five minute poses. I know I butchered that one name, but I mean, sometimes you're reading and you get to these names and I think if, if you're reading for yourself, you kind of like mumble past it. But the thing about reading aloud is you get to the name and you just panic and that's what just happened. Um, I'm not sure anybody else that isn't um, Eastern European or Russian could do any better with that, that one name. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's your sign to switch. Um, if the volume, I can't really tell. I think it's okay. But if the volume is going further and closer, it's because I'm reading. And uh, it's just the way the studio is set up that the microphone has to be in between me and the book. So I'm kind of reading around the microphone, if that makes sense. Just a fun fact. So if for some reason I sound like my, I'm moving, it's because I am. Um, and it's me, it's because I'm trying to get through the, through the book. <clears throat> but we can, um, we can continue with the introduction. Um, continuing where we left off. So it was not surprising that Egon developed a childhood fascination 
with the railroad. He filled the entire apartment with toy railway lines, collected trains, and imitated them, scuffling along in specially reinforced shoes while making puffing and whistling sounds. He also drew trains, long, long chains of them. Mm. Then the pages that they're on. Uh, when one of Adolf Schiele's colleagues told him that Egon's drawings were of professional quality, the proud father foresaw an, an engineering career, that the boy's true future should lie in art was something no one in the Schiele family anticipated. Soon, however, it became apparent that the family's ambition for the, their son were in conflict with his artistic inclinations. When Egon insisted on drawing instead of doing his Latin homework, his father threw the offending sketchbook in the stove. Determined that Egon's secondary schooling should prepare him to study engineering at the university, his parents sent him to attend a gymnasium in the distant town of Krems. Here, homesickness exacerbated the 11-year-old boy's disdain for academics, and he became per permanently uh, alienated from the rigid school system. Even Adolf Schiele had to admit that the Krems experiment was a failure, but Egon's grades hardly improved when, in 1902, he was transferred to gymnasium closer to Tulin in uh, Kloster Nuremberg. By the time Schiele was 14, he'd been left back so often that he, that he was two or three years older than most of his classmates. He received satisfactory marks only in physical education, drawing, and calligraphy. At the end of 1904, Schiele's faltering academic career was permanently derailed by the death of his father. Adolf Schiele had been suffering from syphilis for a number of years before the disease claimed him. As the illness progressed, his behavior became increasingly erratic. No longer able to do his job, he retired and, in, and it is said, burned the family's railroad stocks in a fit of madness. With his death, the family's economic position declined uh, perceptuously. Since Adolf had not yet earned a full pension from the railroad service, Marie became dependent on the uh, benevolence and sometimes intrusive advice of wealthier relatives. Egon's sense of alienation de deepened profoundly. Art and nature now became Schiele's principal enduring solace. The two were often combined for Schiele's became accustomed to taking long walks along the streams and through the fields near Cloister Newburg. Sketchbook in hand, he began associating with local artists who, despite the significant age difference, were impressed by the teenager's talent and, in, and uh, inertness. But Schiele's most important mentor during this painful period was the new art teacher at Cloister Newburg Gymnasium, Ludwig Karl Strauch. So we'll take a break there. You got 20 seconds before we switch positions. And that'll take us into our last five minute pose and then we'll take another break. Um, yeah, so rough life. I mean, really, the evolution of uh, 
something that most of the Western world was going through by this point after the second industrial revolution and um, this move from kind of this uh, man's dirty work to um, moving into cities and and uh, moving yeah to factories and things of, of that sort um, so yeah Actually, reading this intro brings back some other things. I, I believe it's going to go on, I'm guessing. I think he ended up with, like, a, a uncle that moved in or a step... I don't think it was necessarily a stepfather, but we'll see in this intro. But now that I remember this thing about the father having syphilis, um, I do recall there was something about a one uh, uncle or something that sent him to, uh, to an art academy um, because they thought it would, would help with his just uh, social skills and just overall um, demeanor. Okay. So we're moving into the last of the five minute poses now. Okay, so continuing in the book. Strauk, a graduate of Vienna's prestigious Academy of Fine Arts, joined the gymnasium faculty in 1905. An experienced traveler, he provided Chile's intellectual entree to a vast world beyond the borders of provincial cloister, cloister Newburg. Chile's artwork had until then been characterized by a rather dodged, even sometimes exquisite re realism. Strauch introduced him to the latest trends. Okay, this is a good one. Stigma Stigmung Impressionismus, Mood, Impressionism, an Austrian interpretation of the French style, and Jugendstil, the German version of the Art Nouveau. So that's it. If you guys ever want to look that movement up, um, it's not what you think it is. When you hear Art Nouveau, you think of, um, I guess, furniture with no hard lines. Uh, you think of stained glass kind of drawings with hard edges and I mean hard in that the line is thick not necessarily that it ever there's no straight lines usually um, you think of this cat obviously um, but it the the uh, German version uh, Jugendstil and the uh, Austrian version uh, this uh, this uh, Austrian interpretation is not exactly that um, so uh, but but it's worth giving it a look it'll give you some context and um, also uh, Egan Schiele's in my opinion work isn't necessarily the best representation um, of that style he I think he's in a league of his own which is actually probably why it, it wasn't recognized at the time I think sometimes when you are as an artist if you are included in these groups and you do, your art doesn't represent necessarily the canon the canonisms of these uh, groups and these movements and you are somehow on the outskirts and you are sometimes somehow on the outskirts uh, aesthetically you get looked over as not being the right representation of this movement even though you are hanging with these artists and around these artists um, because you your work is um, not in line with the uh, art critics or the art historians definition of what that movement is uh, you are tossed aside and I can say 
in my opinion, I think his work is unique. Um, you can definitely see that it belongs in, in that he was influenced by the same philosophies of the other artists in those movements, but his work stands alone in, in its aesthetics and its uh, representation of the human form within uh, that style, which in my opinion is probably why he was overlooked for so long until somebody came along, found just the vast amount that he had made and realized that it could stand on his own and uh, and took it out of the context of this uh, this uh, this what was going on in Vienna at the time and realizing that it still somehow was a good representation of what was going on in Vienna at the time. Um, but that's just my monologue, humble opinion about it. Right, so 10 seconds. Um, then we're going to take a five minute break and then we're going to go into our last poses. I can just uh, continue with the introduction. Strauch recognized Chile as a master draftsman, but he felt that the student's sense of color could be improved, so he assigned him a series of carefully structured exercises, starting with the primary colors, red, yellow, and blue and then proceeding to the secondary hues, orange, lavender, and green. Schiele obediently followed this lesson plan, but his attempt to assimilate Jugendstil's formal stylization into master abstract color remained amateurish, if not exactly childish. At the same time, however, he was turning out masterpieces of academic realism that amplify that amply justify his reputation as a prodigy. Yet, within Chile's family, Egon was seen more as a never-do-well than as a wunderkind. I've never heard that expression before. Never-do-well. A wunderkind is a prodigy, right? But never-do-well, I don't know. I'm assuming it's in the context of he just was good at copying. Um, okay. Now that Adolf was dead and Marie all but destitute, nosy relatives insisted that the boy had to fulfill duty to pursue a reasonable middle-class profession. Instead, Egon was on the verge of flunking out of the gymnasium. In the spring of 1906, Strauch and one of his colleagues summoned Marie to the school and recommended that Chile not return for the next semester. This can hardly have come as bad news to Egon, who immediately set his sights on applying for the Vienna Academy of Fine Arts. But even Strauch did not think he was ready. Schiele's family, particularly his uncle Schefterk, was adamant, adamantly opposed to the idea. Egon's will, however, was indomitable when it came to art. Though he had little formal training and the academy's entrance standards were extremely stringent, he began putting together a portfolio, despite the fact that none of her relatives had endorsed the plan or more to the point would agree to help pay the boy's tuition, Marie was persuaded to bring Egon and his portfolio to Vienna. Application to the Academy of Fine Arts entailed a two-step procedure. Once a portfolio was accepted, the applicant had to take a rigorous exam that involved drawing from nature and assigned theme. Egon Schiele passed both steps of the process with flying colors. At, the 16, at 16, he was the youngest student admitted to his class. 
Realism had been Chile's artistic forte prior to entering the academy, and undoubtedly it was the as that aspect of this talent which got him in. Yet curiously, once he was ensconced in the bastion of academia, he lost both his taste and some degree his facility to con for conventional representational versatility. Model, please get warm. You got two minutes um, of break. And then we're going to go into a 20 minute pose. Um, so 20 minute pose um, and also use this last minute to warm up um, because it's a long time to sit. And if you're the drawer, you can decide uh, if you want two 10 minute poses or if you just want um, one long 20 minute pose. I'm just going to keep reading. Part of the problem undoubtedly was the lifelessness of the Academy's curriculum, which had not been updated in over a century. Furthermore, Chile had the misfortune of landing in the class of the notoriously strict and reactionary professor Christian Grippenkerl who must have evoked the most rigid and hateful aspects of Chile's gymnasium days. Academy students were not permitted to paint until well advanced in their studies. The introductory curriculum revolved around drawing first, drawing first from plastic casts and then from life. A good deal of work from Chile's first years at the Academy survived. And as most classroom assignments were precisely dated, it's fairly easy to follow his progress. From this, we can see that in October 1906, Egon began the academic program by dutifully drawing plaster casts of antique sculptures. His lack of enthusiasm is palpable in the blank eyes and the conspicuously unintimate contours of these objects. So that's your symbol to uh, start the 10-minute pose or the last 20-minute pose. Toward the end of 1906, Chile was permitted to advance to drawing the male nude, a subject he seems to have embraced with only slightly more gusto. In the spring of 1907, the theme was portraiture, and now the students were allowed to draw women as well as men. Again, these sitters' anonymous models with whom the artist had no relationship are rendered faithfully but without much trace of personal feeling. It is understandable that Chile used to it is understandable that Chile used to progressive teacher like Schrock and the freedom to do as he pleased would have shafted against the restrictions imposed by grip and curl. Color was rarely permitted, not even white not even white chalk. The strict academic manner highlights how to be wrought from the white of the sheet. Sometimes the students were allowed to draw in light chalk on a colored ground and then the opposite criteria usually applied. Darker pencil or crayon could not be used. Students were thereby taught to capture the effects of light on three-dimensional objects and to, turning the page, create a sense of volume through shading and cross-hatching. For Chile, this emphasis on wrought academic technique effectively robbed drawing of its expressive fertility. And, and there's, um, there's drawings of all these things, by the way. Oh, that's the other thing. So in these old academies, um, you could only draw men.
Um, and for those that you that don't know, it was the same in ancient uh, Rome and Italy. <clears throat> and if you look at a lot of the earlier drawings of uh, women, uh, you'll notice that they have male um, torsos, and then they just kind of drew boobs on them. Um, so you'll see like some of the early Renaissance uh, drawings, and they're just like super muscular women, and then they've got um, boobs basically or breast to be a bit more academic about it. It is almost painful to observe how little facility the artist, once the, one of the greatest draftsmen of all time, shows for the drawing in these academic works. Equally disturbing is the lack of emotion that this future master of human figure evokes in his academic news and portraits. Nor is it altogether surprising, considering the lackluster nature of the work that Grip and Curl never gave Chile a grade higher than satisfactory, the equivalent of an American C. If Chile's genius was percolating in the winter of 1906 and 1907, it was not doing so at the Vienna Academy of Fine Arts. Few of Chile's drawings can conclusively be dated to the second half of 1907. Coursework from the fall semester devoted to color theory and chemistry cannot readily be found and may have subsequently been destroyed by the artist. During this period, Chile focused chiefly on painting, which he presumably did not independently of his class assignments. Mainly landscapes painted on cardboard, his 1907 oils, in, his 1907 oils evidence of continuing attempt to internalize Strauch's lessons. Unusual colored triads favoring pink, lavender, and green, as well as the buttery impasto of Stigmund's Impressionismus dominate these little works, which are not yet marked by the distinct creative personality. Talk about stringent rules. I, I, I just have a couple rules for the, for the model. I don't really give you guys rules about uh, how to draw and what tools to draw the figure in. Obviously, I'm not. I mean, it goes without saying I'm not working at the Viennese um, <laughs> Academy. Uh, in 1907 or any academy for that matter and I'm definitely not a master at any of it so um, that's good for you I guess um, yeah so this uh, I think uh, of all the Chile books this one is probably the most comprehensive one of, of his full body of work and the and the um, the evolution of his work um, so this this one is Egon Chile's drawings in watercolors, uh, Jane Color, and then edited by Ivan Fanta, uh, excuse me Ivan uh, Vartanian, um, and then uh, published by Thames and Hudson, which is a huge uh, art publishing company. I'm sure if you have any art books, that's where they come from. So that's uh, that's about it for today, as far as what I'm going to read from Egon Chile. Obviously I just read like three pages in a, I don't know, 300 page book. Again, it's filled with pictures so it's not all writing. It's just a couple things every couple chapters um, about where he was in his life and uh, the things he was looking at and kind of his references. Um, but I can encourage you guys to just do a quick Google search of his work. The same three or four pictures are going to come up. It's going to be the one of his sister, uh, Gertrude. There's going to be some of um, some of the prostitutes. Um, there's going to be some of uh, people being intimate, not necessarily having sex uh, necessarily, but just laying in bed together. 
Um, so you're going to get a spectrum. I mean, he was just studying the human form, and I don't think he had a... He, he didn't have a conservative uh, morality about it um, in, in the conservative context of the time he was living in. But uh, what I encourage you to do also when looking at his work is to look at his line. I mean, it is uh, expressionism, um, in my opinion, applied to the human form. Look at his line. It's just the impression of the body. It's just so much energy in it. Look at the way that he um, uses the page and uses the entire page without cropping um, body parts off and in the portraits where he does crop the body part off it seems like that was his intention uh, from the beginning of the drawing so it's only to say that these are things that you can use in your own practice or practice on your own um, and bring into your own work uh, as you move along obviously you can take it or leave it but the thing that I um, enjoyed about his work when I first found it was it it something about it like clicked me into a different state of thinking about the human form and and what it meant and it's more of a graphic um, I mean like in a graphic design way approach to the human form <clears throat> and um, just the emphasis on the rib cage, um, the way, yeah, as I said before, the, the joints, just the way that the joints have this specific um, intention. I think intention is a good way to describe uh, Iga and Chile's work. Um, the thing I don't know, a lot of the paper is yellowed. Um, and a lot of the pigment is uh, very subdued, but I'm not sure, and I'm, I would have to be more of a, I guess, a um, conservatist, con conserv art conserver to know for sure, but I don't know that the paper was that yellow. It could have just gotten oxygenized over time. Again, he wasn't a well-known artist or a famous artist, so who knows in what state and where these works were stored. Um... They could have been stored just in a in a box somewhere, um, just in an attic somewhere. Um, they weren't necessarily like archived in a museum because he he wasn't um, seen as a representational of Jugendstil or the uh, Impressionismos or whatever it was called or Art Nouveau. Um, so who knows what pigment um, or what quality of uh, drawing these were when they were fresh. Maybe the, the paper was a bit yellowed. Um, maybe the pigment was, um, or excuse me, less yellowed. Maybe the the uh, the colors that they talked about in the very beginning of the book, these uh, uh, secondary hues that he had learned about from his uh, first mentor, um, maybe those were more uh, relevant. Um, just looking at the book now, um, there's a lot of browns and, and, and toned blacks, but I just imagine that perhaps those were a bit brighter. I mean, also he was using watercolor, right? So watercolor doesn't really, um, especially 
if it's not a high end it, and, and it's not taken care of, it doesn't really um, do a good job of standing up to the light test or heat. Um, yeah, so actually, just FYI for you guys, when you um, when you go in these art stores and everything is different prices, but they're the same. Typically, that's what your that's what the price difference is. Like in in anything else. Like I mean, now I have the example. I'm sitting in a studio, and there's definitely a drastic difference between the mic I'm using and the mic on my phone. And I know that's an extreme, but you have to think about these things. And there's a professional grade of materials, and there's a consumer grade of materials. And an art supply store is no different. Um, they have price points that they need to match, and they need to service the normal consumer, and they also need to cons it also need to service the professional. So when you see these drastic difference in prices, part of it may be the um, archival, um, uh, the archival. Um, uh, what I want? To, what word am I looking for? Give me one second. I, I guess I'll just say the archival makeup or the archival chemical structure of these uh, pigments and how long they last. Of course, if if it's a hobby for you, you are more than invited to use whatever you have. There's so many artists that just you have always used whatever, they, whatever they've had. If for some reason you do want it to last longer, you can use the cheap stuff, but then you got to spend a bit more on storage. And if you and when you use the more expensive paint, you probably can get away with a less efficient storage unit. And these are the things you think about as an artist. This is what uh, costs artists a lot of money. I know there's always a conversation about why art costs so much and uh, whether it's worth what it costs and if you can make it. And there's always these, these thoughts. But if, especially when you're talking about traditional art and artisans and you're talking about painters and, and uh, illustrators and and uh, all these things that's that's a huge cost for them um, buying all these materials and you know I mean I remember being in art school and having just having to decide that I was gonna buy purple because it was too hard to mix you know like just having a couple bucks left over from lunch and 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 trying to had this class and she demanded that we use gouache and then if you bought the cheap gouache paint it just made your drawings look horrible but the expensive one was so expensive so I of course bought like the cheapest set of primary colors of red yellow green well not I guess was green in there I guess it was red yellow blue black and maybe brown and then convincing myself that I could mix purple, but it just, it's some colors just hard to mix from, I mean, in theory, red and blue make purple, but I can tell you in practice, red and blue, in most cases, unless it's, again, an expensive brand, red and blue will not make purple. You're going to end up with some type of, usually, burgundy or closer to brown if, it, if it's a cheap thing. And I will say, if you are going to try to mix purple, um... I would go like 95% red and the smallest drop of blue and just add that blue a little bit, a little, little bit at a time um, until you get it to the purple you want. Uh, purple is a more dominant color than red. 
um, and it's the same when you make uh, orange you probably want to put only a drop of red into the yellow um, I can find another passage but in the meantime I'll just say thank you guys for listening to Epson Radio I can see that you're you're coming often and uh, if you're first time uh, tell your friends even if it's not for you or uh, suggest it to an art friend if there's an artist uh, on Instagram or on social media or even one that's uh, passed away, it doesn't have to be a contemporary one that you would like me to research or tell you more about. It, of course, it has to be in relation to um, life drawing. Um, I'm more than happy to uh, look at it. I'm more than happy to uh, read about it. It gives me something to do uh, while there's nothing to do these days. I mean, I'm, of course, busy because I'm at the radio station basically all the time now, uh, producing content um, for your enjoyment. I'm happy to do it. Um, this is Croquis. We also, uh, I just produced a radio program for babies, uh, Baby Rhythmic, um, with one of the teachers here. Um, we have some traditional history coming up about um, Copenhagen uh, with a local tour guide in Vestibro. And we... Um, we visited the train station, um, so that's coming up, uh, and that's going to run on Sunday. Uh, what else can I tell you? We did our first live quiz night, so if you're into games, uh, we're going to try to continue doing those quiz nights um, every Sunday. It may move to Saturday, I'm not sure, but just look out for it on Facebook uh, or on our social media, Epsilon CPH, um, to find out what we're doing. We're doing a lot of stuff uh, despite being closed. Um, and we're just doing that to keep uh, the mind active, to keep you guys going. I mean, you got to activate the creative mind. You got to activate. You can't just work. And, and and I think working from home takes a different toll on the human brain. I mean, you get into a situation where you can't separate uh, your workplace from your home place. And when they start to overlap, you can get a bit of anxiety about when you should stop working and when it's okay to eat dinner and when it's okay to take lunch and how long lunch can be and when you are when you leave the house usually this is kind of predetermined when everybody else leaves you leave but when you work from home it's kind of like do you work till you get done do you work until five o'clock what happens when you get that last email at five o'clock normally you would just say I'm out of the office uh, or I left for the day so, um, yeah, these are all the things we deal with, and uh, hopefully this, this uh, croquis class and this class or life drawing or any of the other things we're doing here um, is, is a distinct time for you to take a break. Um, yeah, so we, we hope that's what we're doing here. Um, the, the nice thing about this book, if you are going to get one, is uh, if, if you're a fan, if you if you just uh, pass it by, you don't need to get this specific one. Uh, this one is extensive and, and almost complete. I'm sure there's more extensive, more complete um, um, catalogs of his work. Um, but there's a lot of one, there's a lot of the ones in here that are not necessarily the ones you you get from a Google search that are just as good. Um, if you do look at it, look at um, look at his drawings and, and, and I think when you get into these five minute drawings, not necessarily the two minute drawings, you can kind of 
um, get here. I mean, he he had an ex and, and and when it became more stylized, when they became more quick drawings. Okay, we gotta go. I'm sorry, guys. Um, yeah, he focused a lot on the knuckles and things. So um, yeah, he for whatever reason focused on the hands. He didn't run from the hands. He definitely had stylized hands and feet. Uh, he he elongated a lot. Um, and by his elongation, he made a lot of people look, um, they do look very skinny and slim with long necks, um, but it also gives them an energy of movement, even though the lines are straight and, and, and robust, uh, there's, there's a movement, there's a natural movement in his line that moves the person, that gives them some type of energy and expression. Um, he did a lot of self-portraits. Um, he, he, there's a lot of large foreheads. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so with that, um, this is going to bring us to the end of this class. Um, next class, uh, we're hoping to have a guest teach the last 20 minutes and hope to hear from you guys soon. Um, so this was Egon Chile. Uh, there'll be more uh, and more contemporary stuff. So, Thanks for listening, guys. This is Epson Radio. I was your host today, Brandon Shell. If you uh, caught it in the middle or you want to suggest it to someone else, uh, we run this episode again on Fridays uh, at the same time from 1950 till uh, 21 or 7.50 till 9 p.m. So check it out there. Also, some of them are archived, not all of them. So if you want to listen to it anytime, you can do it there. I think the first three are archived. So with that, I'll say goodbye. I'll tell the model that they can stop. And uh, I hope to hear from you or hear from you and uh, see you again soon. Bye.